on the Pilot TV podcast this week. We've done it. We've seen it. We've finally been able to watch Star Trek Discovery. And whether you want us to or not, we're going to get into that in minute detail later on. To balance that out, however, we've also taken a trip to 15th century Italy to see Medici the Magnificent, season two of the show that, confusingly, used to be called Medici Masters of Florence. It's still set in Florence, but is, we are told, at least 30% more magnificent. What's more, we take in season two of Tin Star and briefly extol the virtues of the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I'm James Dyer, and this is the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly guide to the new shows worth watching on the Gogglebox. I had tabled a motion to spend the whole of this week's show talking about Star Trek Discovery, but the proposal was defeated by an astonishing 230 votes, which is doubly impressive, as there are only three of us here. Having failed to oust me, though, in a motion of no confidence as host of the Pilot Podcast, I am once again joined by my duo of rebellious backbenchers. First up is a man whose life, from nipper to celebrity name dropper, can be seen on the big screen soon in Richard Linklater's new movie, Boydhood. Hello, Boyd. Oh, if only that was true. I'm going to pitch that to Dick Linklater. You should. You should. Now, see, your celebrity friendship has come into its own this week, hasn't it? What, to what are you referring? In, in that, in that, we received an official endorsement oh, yeah. from one of your friends. And yeah, I've, that's I've, true. I've got it for you here. Ready? <laughs> this is good. James Corden tweets, Well worth a listen, Pilot TV podcast, picture below, brilliant stuff from at Terry White and at Boyd Hilton. Kiss. What's wrong with that? No, it's, it's fine. Like, absolutely lovely of it's him. absolutely fine. I didn't ask him to do that. He yeah, did that I totally did of his own accord. Wait, look, no. and I think for context, I did feel for you last night, and oh, I had good. more than one message asking me, how is James Dyer? The man who asked me on Instagram, I went back in capital letters and said, how do you think? Um, but I've worked with James Corden before. Um, he guest edited a magazine for me about 10 years ago. We've stayed in touch a little bit. Um, Boyd knows him. So I think it's only because he hasn't been graced with the yeah. face of James yeah, Dyer. It's more a case mm. of who is James Dyer. Mm. I didn't make it better. Sorry. You know that episode of Friends where Rachel's sitting in the window staring out through the rain <laughs> yeah. as it drifts? That was me last night. Yeah. That was me. Sad, sad. Yeah. But let's face it, you have reveled in the fact that all those reviews of this podcast that said <laughs> I was okay and you were either a genius, a misunderstood nerd genius and Terry was this incredible force of nature and legendary editor and I was just some bloke who sits here in the corner. So now the shoe's on the other foot. Yeah, and you've enlisted a celebrity with 10 million Twitter followers. No enlistment. No enlistment. No, right. well, no, clearly, clearly, James Corden is a massive fan of every part of this podcast, except me. So that's fine. It's all good. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> clearly, that that moment that me and him shared on the set of Lesbian Vampire Killers, <laughs> well, when, uh, <laughs> when I did my set visit and interviewed him on that uh, on that film, as uh, oh, has, has you left, have uh, met him. I have met him. Well, that explains yeah. everything. Uh, uh, clearly. Uh, <laughs> clearly. Now my analysis <laughs> yeah. is somewhat yeah. different. Clearly, that meant nothing to him. Nothing. Nothing at all. Anyway, joining the Right Honourable Mr Hilton is the Speaker of this particular house, albeit in a barely intelligible northern accent, it's Terry White. (laughs) We've already heard from you, but hi. Hello, who is James Dyer? (laughs) That's your new nickname. (laughs) Right, great. I'm so pleased this has happened. (sighs) Well, let's move on from my ignominious whatever uh, to, to, well, as is our want with, with what we've been watching. What have you guys been watching? Did, has anyone finished watching, apart from me, Sex Education, which we reviewed uh, a few weeks ago? Um, the, the one teen... that you were more down on than we I, were. I yeah. had some. I had but one criticism, which is that some of it I'd seen before. Now I realise I'm, I'm doing another. I am completely um, <laughs> reneging on that. It is phenomenally brilliant. 
but I think you have to watch the whole thing to fully understand just how great it is because it gets better and better to the point where the final episode, the stuff that happens in the final episode that's so brilliantly daring, unexpected, playing on the kind of um, the tropes of these teen comedies, obviously the the John Hughes stuff. And when because I had a particular issue with the scene where they were start vomiting on each other, but then mm. I realised now I'm realising it's part of the whole thing. It's kind of pastiches those things mm. and pays tribute to those things, but it is absolutely unique in itself, and it's definitely something new and different. And I have to say, and it's, it's now turned into one of my favourite things um, around. And I particular kudos has to go to Nkuti Gatwa, who plays um, his best friend, yeah, yeah, who becomes him. this, who's so brilliant in it, because he has to do, he's brilliant at the kind of big stuff, you know, but he has to do some incredibly moving, um, so particularly with his family, with his dad, um, you know, some terrible stuff happens to him. It is, he is phenomenal. And everyone in it is great. Gillian Anderson is great. Honestly, it's it's so good. I'm so glad. So I urge everyone. Conversion. I liked it anyway. I really liked it, but it does get better and better and better. It's fantastic. Yeah. The, now I now I'm I'm. It's one of those things. It's so good when you finish the eight episodes, you're kind of mourning because you're really missing it, and I can't wait for the second season. I got uh, uh, the director. Uh, tweeted me. He oh, follows right. me on Twitter because he, you know, clearly you appreciates my he contribution to the uh, to yeah. the podcast. Yeah. He, uh, he said thank you very much for the kind words. Right, and it's also beautifully filmed. You know, because it's got that. It's like it's weird because it's set in this. It, like it's it's so visually enticing. You know, that on top of everything, it looks like in the best teen film you've ever seen. Mm. It's like, beautifully done. On top of it being incredibly funny and moving and, and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Lo- love a bit of sex education. Yeah. What Terry? What what depressing, <laughs> incarcerated, <laughs> drug addicted. Methadone snorting. I don't know what it. What have you watched? Well, it's funny you should say that because has anybody heard of Murder Mountain? Oh God! I'm actually furious that we didn't review it. So it's a true crime <laughs> series on um, Netflix. It's a six part docu series. Now, what it is, James? It's not as bad as what you're thinking. It's essentially a true crime murder mystery um, documentary, much in the kind of making a murderer um, realm. Very cinematic, amazing production values um, from the team behind Man on Wire. Um, And it's about a series of missing people in this California community. It's called Humboldt. Humboldt County. And tens and tens and tens and tens of people have gone missing over the last kind of decade or so. And it starts with a case of um, uh, one guy who's gone missing in 2013 and then it tells the story essentially of all the people that have gone missing over the years. Now this community is the basically the home of a huge marijuana train. It's in the middle of the forest and there's speculation on is it a consequence of drug crime so it used to be illegal these huge marijuana farms obviously the law changed and it became legal but it's a huge kind of drug area or is there a weird serial killer on the loose are people like going there to commit suicide what is the deal what is the thematic link and it's essentially trying to uncover the secrets that are hidden in the mountains and forests it is so well done i think it dropped uh, right at the end of last year in the christmas break um i would massively massively recommend it. it's fascinating and this is murder mountain murder mountain a feel-good knockabout sex comedy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah definitely everyone should watch that for some lols boy um, have you seen it no, and I've been meaning to watch it, and because it did, it arrived. Yeah, it arrived just between Christmas and New Year in the in the busiest period. So much stuff was around, so that's why we we didn't review it. In my defence, and but I do need to watch it. Yeah, it looks fun. It looks very me. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, I'm still watching The Shield. I'm watching like four episodes of The Shield and I'm well into the end of season three. You can't just say the the same thing every week. Unfortunately, I'm doing this thing that I have a tendency to do sometimes when I've really wanted to rewatch something for a long time. So, The Shield, I've been wanting to rewatch for now about 18 months since I heard they were remastering it. And so, I'm watching it on the way into work. I'm watching it on the way back from work. I'm watching it when I'm at home. I'm just, I can't stop watching it. It's amazing. You can watch other things. I can. And I have done because I've reviewed stuff for this podcast. Michael Chiklis, the star of that, is amazing follows me on twitter likes me on the podcast uh, just saying uh you so does sean ryan creator of the show just saying <laughs> they know who james you are. corden um yeah no loving it okay. loving it but uh, but I, it's funny because i'm doing that and nick DeSemlin from the empire office is doing the same thing with game of thrones at the moment he's re-watching it from the beginning and there there are few greater pleasures i think than just hammering at 100 miles an hour and just binge watching the shit out of a complete show from beginning to very end of last season that you truly love and haven't seen for many years it is it is glorious you asked last, last week you said how do i have time to watch this stuff i don't understand <laughs> how you people who have to watch films and tv shows have re-watches of shows that go on for like 70 hours yeah it's ridiculous well it helps to have fewer celebrity friends that i need to sort oh, of hobnob okay. with fine uh you know can i also quickly mention black lake which is the se- second season of that. It's a Scandinavian uh, thriller, and it's running on BBC Four on Saturday nights. And I only started watching it the other week. It's really good because it's all, it's all, it's a prequel, and it's got all these characters gathering on this Scandinavian island, doing the kind of like therapy group therapy thing. Mm. And it's got loads to say about those courses that we all have to go on. Those corporate <laughs> courses where you're supposed to change your life by some ludicrous doofus telling you how things work in life and in the universe. And it is a brilliant satire on that, as well as being a riveting crime thriller. Black Lake. Yeah, Black okay. Lake. Saturdays, BBC Four. I think it's just about to finish, but obviously it'll all be on iPlayer. Okay. And can I mention one more thing, only because I woke up at 3am to watch, well, I had insomnia last night, so I decided, um, I woke up at 3am, I had like 90 minutes sleep, and um, I had a feeling this may go up on the middle of the night, and it didn't, it went up at 8am this morning, it's on Netflix, and it's called Fire, the greatest part that never happened. I'm so excited about this. This (laughs) is amazing, this is uh, an original documentary for Netflix, can you remember the Fire Festival last year before, Mm. and it was meant to be a um, music experience experience on a private island oh the shit show the influencer <laughs> shit show um obviously the the guy behind it i think was sentenced to six years in prison for a, a multitude of frauds last year and it's a documentary in america this week hulu um released one just before netflix but the netflix one everybody's been waiting for it went up at 8 a.m this morning i tried to watch it on the way in but my phone wouldn't work oh. i am watching it as soon as i leave this room i'd love to talk about it next week yeah. um, but i it's it's the one everyone's been waiting for. And, and it's called? It's called Fire, the greatest party that never F-Y-R-E, happened. F-Y-R-E, that is his name, yeah. isn't it? Okay. That was the Fire Festival, yeah. And that other, the, the documentary that Hulu put out again was, is a year old. I think yes. they kind of revitalised it, didn't they, as a kind of spoiler, if you like. But apparently that's really good as well. Yeah. I think that's on Amazon Prime, I think. Yeah. Okay, good stuff. Uh, should we talk about some news? There's yes. been some things. There have been a few things. Uh, most important of which I think we can uh, all agree is the <laughs> announcement of the new Star Trek spin-off <laughs> starring uh, Michelle Yeoh as uh, Captain Philippa Giorgio or actually the Empress pretending to be Captain Philippa Giorgio because she is, of course, from the Mirror Universe. Yeah. Yeah. I so, mean, I did, I got, so we, I don't want to jump forward and we no. will obviously be reviewing no um, uh, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, let me say that having having watched 
the first episode of Star Trek Discovery last night and, and um, Crazy Rich Asians being one of my films of last year. Mm. I think it made my number 10. And a huge fan of Michelle Yeoh, I just think, is a remarkable actor. This was probably my first experience of Star Trek excitement <laughs> in my life. I am 39 years old. Wow. I felt excited Ooh. about Star Trek news. Does it excite you more than anything else that she has joined Starfleet Section 31, which, of course, as you will know, is the Federation's equivalent of the uh, of the Cardassian Obsidian Order, or, for example, the Romulan Star Empire's Tal Shiar? If only the audience could see the smug look on your yeah. face as you delivered yeah. that impassioned ser- sermon. Yeah. Oh. No, I'm excited about this. I, I really like the Georgia stuff, and she's going to be in uh, season two of Star Trek Discovery. Mm. She makes her, her uh, she reappears in that at several points, I believe. So that's quite exciting. So a new anything new Star Trek is good. Alex Kurtzman is obviously uh, is is the brain behind all this. Uh, he's going to be EPing it. Um, and I'm yeah, very excited. It's going to be on CBS All Access. I can only assume it will appear on Netflix over here. When What's the CBS C- CBS All All Access, which is their streaming, streaming service? Thing, so it's basically yeah. like Star Trek Channel. Is it? Yeah. What else is yeah. on it? CBS All Access. Well, it's yeah, it's Star Trek. Isn't it? Is there anything? Is there anything else on? Well, it, it launched with Star Trek Discovery. Well, yeah. like Star Trek Discovery's yeah. pilot, which is why it's so bombastic, is because it was it was on regular yeah. TV, and then everything else moved to All right. Access. So it was like a trailer for All Access. Right. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, we don't get it over here, and that's undoubtedly a good thing because we can watch it on Netflix. Yeah, it means yeah. It's on Netflix. Yeah. Um, what else has happened, Boyd? Did you see that um, the big Netflix thing? This is a kind of corporate story, but I think it's interesting. Now, Netflix announced record gains. They've got now got 140 million. No, they've got 140 million subscribers worldwide. Which, if because people, because I think we have to sit back and think for a minute. Yes, Netflix has changed the world. I mean, I know it seems obvious. But when you've got 140 million people paying $10 a month... More now, because they put the more, prices, they put up. The prices yeah. up as well. And then no one ever leaves that world, right? Like the mafia. And people... Like the mafia. And they're investing tens of billions every year in new stuff. This... I mean, I think it can't be underestimated or overestimated. Which one? It can't be overestimated the extent to which they have changed the industry. And it's partly why, you know, we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. It's all, it is an incredible thing. And they've got loads of teenage Muppets running around killing themselves with blindfolds on at the moment. So, you know, they have quite a wide-reaching impact. Explain that? They're forcing me. You've heard about this. You've got to say that without explaining it. what the fuck is happening already. You must have heard about the Bird Box Challenge, which is the thing that's going Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So, Netflix's original show, uh, yeah. film Bird Box which I loved but seems to have split people uh, obviously Sandra Bullock spends most of it blindfolded because she can't look at the aliens lest you go mad and kill yourself so lots of people being the you know this is Darwinism in action have yes. been putting on blindfolds and doing things like driving cars and skateboarding and running across freeways and you know yeah, that's thinning true. the herd that's I not believe good. it's called but my point is Anyway, apart from the bird thing challenge, is that it is really... I know it's a corporate story and everything, but it is really good because they do give the people who make their stuff incredible creative freedom. And I mm. think because they're making, they've got all these people who are you know, sitting there waiting for new content and they have to keep providing it, it means that quality and daring, boldness and daring are, are, are kind of have become the bywords for that thing. I think it's an incredibly exciting thing. 
Mm. Well, and I think, you know, I think we see that in, in kind of all areas. I was talking to somebody about this last night. I think when you see the likes of Scorsese making right. their next film there, that's because right. Netflix have the budget. Yeah. And we're hearing exactly that, the creative freedom outside of a traditional studio mm. structure to kind of allow filmmakers to go to town. You know, same with Roma, yeah. with Alfonso. Um, but another bit of Netflix news, neat little mm-hmm. segue. Did you see the results they released about Bandersnatch? Um, oh, yeah. About the choices people made. <laughs> no, I um, So they released some of the like really vital things, like over 60% of us chose Frosties and not Sugar Puffs. Yes. Uh, of course. That's what kind enough. of sociopath uses Sugar Puffs? Me. Well, <laughs> the defence rests. <laughs> And then they released um, the least kind of popular ending in terms of the one um, chosen least. Um, but they said you UK viewers um, were less likely to throw the tea than their non-British counterparts, which I just thought was so beautiful. Yeah, it's like, was... we know what's important. You yeah. don't waste the tea. <laughs> yeah. You drink the tea. Absolutely. Bloody Americans. Um, and out of the five main endings, the one where Stefan goes on the train with his mum was the path least travelled. What's what's the design? Yeah, I like, what's the I've best ending? ending? I did. I did that. Uh, what do you yeah. mean, what's the best ending? Like, what's the ending? Because like, in most games, like when there's multiple endings, there's a quote-unquote best ending which is the good ending the ending that you should aspire to if you made the right choices i don't think that's how they're presenting it i I, think they're presenting it as essentially you know it's i mean that's that's what i found quite depressing about this is is you're fucked regardless although there was an ending in a different way there is an ending where while you end up in prison bandersnatch gets a five-star review so i think if if anything that's the good ending but you know 73 percent of us chose that he would accept the job it took us off the one where you come into the office you know i think it says a lot about kind of the psyche and the psychology and um of the people um but i yeah the tea one i was like good for you brits yeah don't let me down waste a cup of tea waste a cup of tea madness uh, something not Netflix related, Game of Thrones season 8 premiere date has finally been locked in. This is April the 14th of this year. We will find out what happens. We will see it all. Oh, I could not be more excited. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I yeah. could not give a fuck. Yeah, I thought, you, that, yeah your tone was so <laughs> yeah. askew. What is this? No, winter is coming and, and it's coming on the 14th of April. What about the fact that bloody was it Michael Gove who said that this week? Oh, don't don't quote Game of Thrones. He said you. winter is coming. Well, yeah, Trump a... memed oh, Game yeah. of Thrones. I mean, God. the wall is coming. These people should not be allowed to engage with good not being funny. Culture. But Michael Gove is not a star. That's a fucking fray if ever there was one. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Uh, anyway, um, have you seen the Space Force? Oh Space yes, Force. Yeah. this is exciting. I lolled hard over this. This is uh, Netflix news, though. This is Netflix <laughs> news. So Steve Carell is returning to television with the creator of The Office for Space Force, <laughs> which is essentially a series based on Donald Trump's tweet Brilliant. about how we need a space force. Yeah. So we're sending Steve Carell into outer space to police it. It's perfect. I mean. I mean yeah. Yeah. It's a brilliant idea. Already, can't wait. Sounds great. Greg Daniels, Cranger of the Office, and Steve Carell in space. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. What more could you want? What more could you want? Um, what more could we want? Did you hear about Homecoming Season 2? Yes. Ah, oh, yes. Yeah. Julia Roberts not coming back, but yeah. they're still exec producing. Yeah. Which is a thing that stars do now, isn't it? It's like, um, what, what's her name did with The Thing? The Sinner. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah. I know you so Jessica well, Blake. <laughs> yeah. So, but fair enough. Yeah, so I feel like, what, what is Homecoming Season 2 going to be? Is it going to be effectively like a whole new story? You know, I'm intrigued. Yeah, oh, that's a good question. Yeah. We yeah. shall see. 
No, no Terry's not okay. sorry. No, not I want to talk about Perry Mason. Oh, oh my like, God! Is yes. it this exciting? So I we heard years ago. So I think it was right back in 2011 that Robert Downey Jr. was developing a film for Warner Brothers. I think it kind of then it went into being in talks with Nick. Let me. I never get this name right. So you're just going to bear with me. Pizzolato. Thank you very much, Mr. True Detective, obviously. Um, they were in talks about doing something for HBO and now um, Nick was a, bit, a little bit too busy doing his True Detective thing. So um, uh, Downey Jr. is going to be a producer on it. Matthew Reese is going to be Perry Mason. Apparently it's set in 1932 LA. He's kind of on his arse being a paycheck private detective and this is his path potentially to redemption. I mean, Matthew, what are we thinking about Matthew Reese as Perry Mason? I'm there for it. I think Are Matthew, you there for yeah, it? because I think he's brilliant. I he love Matthew Reese. Yeah, I'm going Raymond Burr. Yeah, right? yeah. Matthew Reese. <laughs> Somebody help me out during the dots there. It's bold casting. Yeah, it doesn't feel like you know. It feels counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I'm fully in favour of it. Also, interestingly, so this is written now by Rowan Jones and Ron Fitzgerald, who did Boardwalk Empire and Friday Night Lights. Yeah, mm. that is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's quality. So, it's got quality written all over it. It has. It has. Perry Mason returns. That's good. Uh, the uh, Born Identity spin-off Treadstone got some uh, new cast members. Uh, <laughs> I'll be honest. I'm excited that it's moving along. I hadn't heard of any of them. I'm sure they're all very good. Go on. Uh, okay. Yeah. Right. You ready? Ready? So there is Omar Matuali from The Affair. I don't watch The Affair. Omar. Oh, he plays... Um, oh, yeah. Helen's boyfriend, I think. Okay. Tracy Fika from... Quantico, which I watched once and haven't seen since. Uh, Quantico is fun. Han Hyo but who Jun. is it from Quantico again? Say that again. Sorry, uh, Tracy Fika. Oh, I'm not sure who that was. Uh, and uh, and Han Hyo Ju, I believe it's pronounced. She's a South Korean actress who's from uh, The Beauty Inside, which I haven't seen either. So you know, yay! <laughs> oh yeah, Omar Matwala. Yeah, he is the one who plays Helen's um, uh, boyfriend, Doctor Vic Ula, and he is remarkable in that show. So well, that's, that's good. That's exciting. And hopefully. Also remarkable in Treadstone. Mm. Good stuff. Um, anything else? Any more for any more? Has there been any other news? Or have Kaminsky Method was recommissioned. Oh, was it? One of our recent favourites. That's good news. Great I'm very show. excited about that. Yeah. Okay. Just good, saying. good, good. Love a bit of Kaminsky Method. Right. Yeah. Well, before we move on, we have a very special, special moment. So before we get into reviews, it is time for... Drum roll, please. Our first guest. Our first Yes, that's right. The Pilot Podcast has our first interview this week. Uh, we won't be having one every week at this stage, but we're dropping them in from time to time, maybe making them a little bit more frequent as we go. But for our inaugural guest spot, Stephen Dorff stopped by the booth to chat to Terry about all things True Detective. And and I can't emphasise this enough, not the fact that Terry used to have a pin-up of him on her bedroom wall as a teenager and the fact that it got really awkward. Uh, here it is. Stephen, hello. Hello. How nice are to you? See you? Yeah. A little bit out of breath. We just made you walk up five flights of stairs. Yeah, but it was okay. Got my little workout in today. And there are other people in this room, all who I have to say, looking at them right now, are desperately out of breath. And you are a cool, calm oasis of man. Yeah, and I'm the I'm the smoker, so <laughs> I don't know what's going on with y'all. So <clears throat> let's talk True Detective. Yeah. So I was reading. You have, and I had to check this a few times. 34 years of experience, if we're counting, and I do, then you leave it to Beaver from 1985. Jesus. Yeah, well, I think that was one of my first jobs ever, I think. Yeah, I started, like, doing commercials and little TV things here and there when I was a 
like a kid, you know.、Mm. Like, found me in my school for this crazy little movie called The Gate, which ultimately became this big horror movie that Quentin Tarantino and all these big directors always remind me that I was in <laughs> <laughs> when they see me. But yeah, still going. 45 now, old man. Well, and yet. True Detective, which is a towering example of cinematic television, I think we can all agree. You know, obviously, season one, Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson, even for you and 34 years in the industry, this is a huge gig, right? Yeah, this is an exciting one at this time because、uh, I'd never really jumped into this world as TV's become so popular, you know, and, and a lot of movie people moving into these kinds of shows. I haven't,、uh, I was going to a few times, but now I'm.、Uh, Now I made it and I, I feel like I got the, the perfect one. I mean, it, it was just the most beautiful eight scripts. You know, to have a character to, to play for that stretch of time is a lot different than what we get to do in the movies. So, like, for me, it was, it was kind of a dream job. It was really great and to work with Mahershala Ali and dive into this、uh, incredible journey that we have together as partners and、uh, the ups and downs of this relationship we have. Through these eight hours、um, was really an amazing experience. So, take us back to when you first got the script. What was it that stood out for you? Was there a particular scene? Was there, what was it that captured you and you thought, this is the one that's going to take I, me into cinematic TV? I had a feeling Nick、uh, Pizzolatto, because I was so kind of enamored with his writing on the first one and, and on the second one. But I thought this one.、Uh, He had, spent, he had had more time between these seasons because when the first one came out, it kind of became a juggernaut, and then he went right into season two. and They had a release date, I think, before they even started shooting. So it was kind of a. They felt pretty much under the gun. And this one, he's had a lot, he had a lot of time to really、uh, think about this one and set this one in Arkansas,、um, in northwest Arkansas, in the Ozarks, which is.、Um, Where this takes place. And、uh, I don't know, I just was blown away. It wasn't one particular scene because they just kept coming. You know,、mm. the writing kept each week,、uh, each episode to episode was getting stronger and stronger for these two characters. So, And what can you tell us about your character, Roland West, for people who haven't seen it? Yeah, Roland West is a, he's a bit of a cowboy. He grew up kind of in the rodeo.、Um, he, uh, he went to Vietnam, so did Wayne.、Um, Mahershala's character, but、uh, Roland didn't really see much action, whereas Wayne saw a lot.、Uh, when we meet them, they've probably been partners around five months and they're in their early 30s.、Um, we're in 1980, the day Steve McQueen died. Basically, not much going on in Arkansas that night, so we were drinking some beers, shooting some rats, and、uh, wondering what we're going to do for the rest of our shift. And then we get a call, which ultimately、um, happens to be a missing person's.、Uh, Case re- revolving around two kids、um, that are missing. And、um, that call kind of changes the course of our lives because this case isn't an easy, an easy fix. This is、um, something that's going to stretch on through the decades. But Roland, I think, as a character, has got it all. He's, he's funny, he's, he's got the great lines, he's, he's charming, he's intense, he's kind of,、uh, he can be very tough when he needs to be to get what he wants to know out of people.、Um, he can bend the rules. But he also has a soft spot, I think, in his heart and、uh, doesn't want to see people in pain. Because he's got a sense of the kind of good old boy, but he's not that typical kind of sexist. He's, quite, he's much more textured than you might imagine on paper. Yeah, he's actually kind of smart, too, you know. So Nick just really,、uh, I don't know, he really tapped into something with, with all, I think, all these characters. You know, he just really did a, so much of it was given to us on paper, which is kind of what you need. That's where it all starts. 
if anything, it made me realize that movies are um, are easy to make next to something <laughs> like this. You know, I I went into a movie right after True Detective wrapped, and I finished in November. And um, when I got through it, I was like, "We're done already." I mean, wow, that was easy. Is, in terms of the challenges as an actor of eight hours of episodic television, is it the endurance level? Is it the kind of constant commitment? What is it that's the particular challenge that's different to what you do on a film set? I think on this one, it, you know, it just felt like a, a giant, long, extra long movie, you know, because it didn't feel like we're doing your normal TV show because there were so many ambitious things about this show as far as, you know, we age into our 70s, we... Uh, we, you know, have prosthetic makeup, we're, we're aged backwards, then we're in a middle zone when we hit our 40s and the 90s. Um, so a lot happens and you see the length of time and life. I think that's what the whole season is really about, memory and time and love. And, you know, I think uh, making this, the challenge was just uh, the difference between a movie is, like in a movie, you know, you have like three or four scenes you know you have to hit out of the park you know what's coming in the end of the second act or the third act is the big courtroom scene or the the bank rob scene or you know whatever the big sequence is in this show it just kept going you know we'd get through a big chunk of scenes and the next day we had 10 more you know and the next week we had we were getting into the 90s where there's uh, 10 more and you know and it just kept going so i would say in this we have about 50 60 of those type scenes and so for me it was just about how to keep it moving, how to top each scene that we were making. Because, you know, you go one at a time and kind of power through. And, you know, yeah, it takes a little more endurance because the shoot's longer. So by the end, we were pretty exhausted, mm -hmm. pretty tired. But uh, I kind of, I, I felt energized at the end, even though I was emotionally drained from playing Roland. And now we've sucked it all out of you by making you work up five flights. Ah, I was all right. I needed a little <laughs> movement. Um, as you mentioned, three timelines, which is a whole new level of ambition for True Detective. So I'm interested in kind of what you decide as an actor kind of stays the same in each of those performances and what is different. And the second part of my question is, what is worse, the wig or the prosthetics? The wig uh, is pretty special. Yeah, the wig was easier, way easier than the prosthetics. I mean, the prosthetics were, uh, it takes a lot of patience. You know, I've worn makeup and some pieces before and things and movies, but... I've never had quite the uh, transformation that we went through on this. And uh, what was the first part, a question? Uh, it was just when you're doing three timelines, oh, yeah. being the same person, obviously, at quite different points in their life, what do you decide re remains the same and what do you kind of change up? Is it their physicality? You know, Roland goes through major without revealing too much because they'll get mad at me and probably um, throw me out the window if I reveal any spoilers. But... Um, Roland changes a lot. You know, in the 80s, we see him him and Wayne, and they're kind of, you know, they're innocent, they're feisty, they're, they're hungry for cases, they're, they're new at their jobs, you know. Um, when, we, when we break away and we pick up again in the 90s, um, Roland's gone through a huge transformation and becomes the boss. You know, he's, he graduates to kind of being a lieutenant. Um, so there's kind of a... A sense of control and a sense of ease about Roland that happens, I think, as he comes into the 90s. You know, he can wear jeans to the office. He mm. uh, still wants to look good because Roland's very proud of his Western wardrobe and his cowboy boots. So he stays the same in his roots all the way, I think, into his 70s. I think in, when he gets older, I, I, I physically kind of changed the way he walks, the, you know, the way he talks a little bit, you know. Um, I kind of have a deep voice anyway, but it kind of goes deeper. Um, because he's still smoking and 
drinking um, as an old man. Um, but he also, um, you know, goes through something in, in that, you know, affects him as well in the 90s, uh, in the 80s, without revealing what happens. But some stuff goes down. and So ultimately, yeah, you want to string the same. The core is the same. The guy's the same. He, he's still the same person. It's just he's... He's aged 30 years. And you mentioned Mahershala, who is obviously a formidable talent, but I was really interested by your relationship because you have such a beautiful intimacy on screen. Can you talk about working together and how you kind of achieved that? Was that there from the get-go? Is that a natural chemistry we're seeing? Yeah, you know, we didn't know each other before, so we had emailed uh, each other once I was cast. He was part of the show um, for, I think, a few months before. He was the first one on board. Um, and, uh, you know, I was really excited to work with him. I, I'd loved him in House of Cards and Moonlight, and I thought he was going to be an amazing Wayne Hayes. And uh, we kind of both knew what we were taking on but didn't really know how to begin. And uh, they let us know how to begin, and they, we started off with some simpler scenes, and if there are any. And we, uh, we kind of built this natural kind of chemistry that we do have, and I felt it as we were making it because we have kind of different styles anyway as actors, but we also uh, are different people as people in real life, you know. Um, but that, I think, made for the perfect combo because we're very different in the show, you know. Our characters are very different. And and uh, I loved, I just loved working with them. So we went, we went uh, head first into these roles and I think both went to these depths because we had this extra time that we wouldn't normally have just on a movie. I'm probably going to reveal my awful American geography now, but... It, was there a sense of going home during production because it was filmed in Arkansas? You're from Georgia. Yeah, right? I, was, I was born in Atlanta, but I, I only lived there until I was about two months old. So so you don't have any big memories? Yeah, I don't have any loins the there. Yeah, But <laughs> my dad was going to college there, and so we moved to L.A., though, when I was a baby. But, but I interrupted your question. Sorry. No, that was kind of it. Oh. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, this year was weird. I was in the South the whole year, so, mm. I, I, you know, we're in... Northwest Arkansas for seven months, came home, had to go into training for about four weeks, and um, and then I was ended up uh, in Alabama, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, to make a film called Embattled, where I play a UFC lightweight champion of the world, and uh, and basically, um, so I was in the South all year last year. I got home in November, so I'd only been home for about a month, and uh, now the new year started, so... That's quite a different role you just casually threw in there, UFC. Yeah, it was really hard to leave Roland and kind of go into that role, so I kind of did all this physical stuff for the role that helped me uh, cheat my way into leaving Roland and enter into um, this part of uh, Cash Boykins that I play, who's pretty, I'd say, nasty guy. Wanted to play this part for a while, and... They didn't give me the part until I got True Detective, and then I immediately got the <laughs> I got the part. So I was like, "Yeah, I can do it after True Detective." And they're like, "Well, you're going to be tired." And I said, "No, no, I'll be all right." But I have shaved head and gold teeth, and that helped me at least uh, lose Roland a little bit. Well, and your career has had, you know, you've done a massive variety of things, surprising things. You know, when you look at it, it's from I Shot Andy Warhol to Cecil B. Demented, which is obviously a John Waters film, to yeah. Public Enemies, and now True Detective. What is the through line for you in all of those projects? Is there one? No, I don't think so. I think it was always... I think when I was younger, I was against 
uh, I guess, Hollywood a little bit. I wanted to do independent movies before independent movies were really trendy, you know, before we had landmark cinemas and before mm -hmm. we had, uh, you know, big, small vanity labels at the studios that were releasing the movies properly. I was kind of doing movies like I Shot Andy Warhol a little earlier than when they didn't have that kind of setup for some of those films. But I, I really liked working with artists and I also would pick roles based on who I was working with and what director was directing them. So if I was starring in a movie with Jack Nicholson, then I almost didn't care what my part was. I wanted to mm -hmm. work with Jack. So for me, the actors that I respected, the generation above me, were like Johnny Depp, Sean Penn. You know, I always liked uh, how Johnny would take different kinds of roles, would do a John Waters film after coming off a huge TV series and being a huge teen idol, he he then would go work with John Waters. And I loved being in one of his biggest budgeted movies, which was kind of like the John Waters action movie. <laughs> you know, it was because, A, he's a lovely guy, and I think, you know, it's cool to have a John Waters movie on your resume, especially when he wrote the part for me. You know, I also got to work with, you know, Susan Sarandon and Harvey Keitel and all these great kind of thespians that I think taught me a lot about what I now know. And then there were years where I just didn't get offered interesting things and, you know, I did what I could just to, you know, make money and, the, you know, did a couple movies I probably shouldn't have done. But then out of nowhere I'd get, you know, a great director would offer me another movie. So I had a very weird kind of career. It wasn't like I went to the top and stayed there. I kind of had all these ups and downs, but they were always, I was always working and, and doing well. I think it just... There were certain projects that I always will love that not many people, because of maybe distribution or things, didn't get out to the real world, like Blade and in some of the bigger ones I've done. I'm happy I did the John Waters movie because we had a standing ovation in Cannes, and and uh, and I'm still good friends with John, and he always he's one of the only guys that calls me every year on my birthday, and I get like a little John Waters singing me Happy Birthday on my message, so I think that's pretty cool. That is worth it for the rest of your life to have an annual singing message from John Waters. Yeah, and he's, and he's just a lovely guy, you know. He's been doing a lot of art recently, mm, so he, he has. hasn't really done a movie in a while. Not but, for a long uh, time. Yeah, he's a, he's a good guy. And that was Stephen Dorff. How was he, Terry? Was he all you dreamed he would be? He was amazing. I r used to rip his face out of Just 17 magazine and have it on the wall of my council house. Um, so times have changed a tad. I didn't tell him that, but I did offer to give him a piggyback downstairs i should explain that the lift in the building we did the interview in is broken and he had to walk up five flights of stairs he was barely sweating when he entered the room um and i kind of ended up offering to give him a piggyback back down the stairs yeah that's 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 a hashtag Stephen dorf too yeah he said no no you're too small and cute and i went i'm sturdy Stephen dorf um so Stephen, one minute hold on it's Stephen, not Stephen dorf Stephen dorf said you're too small and cute Let's let's just let that. Did that I mean, that the really was that was a dear diary moment, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it, Terry? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go back in time and tell little Terry what's going to happen, <laughs> and she's going to lose her shit. Because let's face it, he's still looking pretty good. He looks amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, they let's made not him objectify look... him. Let's not objectify well... him. And we did talk about the wig. So anybody who's watched True Detective yeah. knows there is some wiggage. Yeah, there is. Um, going on. And, and they've aged him up as well, haven't they? They make him look quite rough in it. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, and it's three timelines anyway. Yes, um, so he is. Um, I think he's a remarkable actor. We talked about. He's got such an incredible, varied career. His choices are really, really interesting, and I think he's been really smart to move into cinematic tv this is his first kind of adventure in this world and yeah he's um he's a really interesting guy i love the way you did that the way you just tried to rationalize the fact that all you wanted to do was lick his face <laughs> no 
I was interested in his brain and his <laughs> his, his credentials as a fantastic actor. <laughs> well, yeah, Stephen Dorff, True Detective, season three, which, of course, people can watch as it unfolds. And I was going to say, I have watched, have you watched any more episodes which are on our age? Well, if we can watch them on the HBO. Unfortunately, The Shield has not thing. permitted me to do because that. Because I've got up to episode four, and episode four, it suddenly gets really, really good in episode four. I mean, I've enjoyed it already, mm. but four is where it... And he is great in the episode as well. Yeah, and I have to say, the, the ratings may be for the opener haven't been as high as they've been hoping for but the critical response across yeah. the board has been and from the fans on social has been very much you know it's back to its best yeah. so I I think it's going to build I think it's yeah, one definitely. that's going to build steam actually as it goes along and it re-engages people who may have kind of fallen off at the second season yeah agreed okay let's get on to this week's reviews which of course begin with well, it begins as last week ended with the magnificent return of Star Trek Discovery, which landed on Netflix uh, last Friday. So we've seen it. I mean, in all likelihood, many of you have seen it. But frankly, we're not missing up the opportunity to talk about it. Uh, what did what did you think, Terry? Now, this is the most important thing here. This is Terry's Star Trek experience. Yeah. How was it for you? I said to Boyd when we came in this morning... Oh, God, I really liked it. <laughs> oh, what have you done to me? Um, I really liked it. So I thought um, uh, she was amazing, Sinequa Martin-Green. Um, I just thought it was... Re- I mean, it was much more, I have to say, much more sombre than I expected it to be from a tone position where it opened. Um, and I am... I know so little about Star Trek. <laughs> it's hilarious. So I'm not even going to try and put this into any storytelling context, James. I think you're going to have to do that legwork, my friend. Sure. Um, but I love the tone of it. Um, the performances were great. And I have to share something with you. I wrote a note during it because I was thinking, I'm starting to see why James loves this so much. And then there was a line where somebody said, uh, "This that metaphor seemed a bit simplistic. And she goes, it's actually a simile. <laughs> and I was like... I get it. This is like they speak James Dyer's language. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, what I thought was really funny there is uh, the, the line after that is uh, he's, he's like, oh, you know, I heard you were smart. It's like she just identified the difference between a metaphor and a simile. She didn't just solve astrophysics. Let's calm it down a little bit. But uh, I thought yeah. the action was good. Um, I thought the effects were good. The character beats were all there. As I say, this is a whole new world to me. But I think I'm going to watch the whole season. And and I think, well, you should. And go back and watch season one of this yes. as well. But what's funny is this... I mean, this is Star Trek. But on the other hand, it's so not Star Trek. This this episode, this first one, because I've only watched the first one. Full disclosure, we've been given a bunch of them by Netflix. And I'm refusing on general principle to watch them. This is brilliant, by Because the way. they are not provided in 4K. <sighs> and I have to watch them with Boyd's name watermarked yeah, across the front. And true. frankly, I will not experience Star Trek that <laughs> this way. This is true. So I am watching them like everyone else... Jesus. On Netflix as they drop. So, uh, but what's interesting about this is from a structural point of view, like, yes, there's an overarching story which is about, to go out and surmount the red flashy things, where are my red flashy things? Um, <laughs> but this was almost like a, a classic Star Trek thing where there's a distress signal, there's a crashed ship, they go down to a hostile environment and then they have to get them off using yeah. the transporters. You know, you don't get any more Star Trek than yeah, yes. that. Except it was nothing like Star Trek because it's got Discovery production values and it starts with 
a set piece where they just go to land which costs more money is more exciting and has more spectacle than anything that ever appeared in any other episode of star trek and and that's fine because this this is a very cinematic tv show and it's different to the other star treks but it's it's funny how much this has been reinvented for modern tastes and yet the core of it is still classic trek the, the narrative and you're right because i used to watch um i used to watch it as a kid it, that was the last time i really engaged with so and I, i'm talking about a kid a kid and that narrative structure there's something really comforting that self-contained yeah. quest it's a thing I we're going to fix love it that. i love and you know i like a procedural in yes. a formula and it is very procedural yeah mm. well as it unfolded last night i was like oh oh i i really responded mm. to that but i was surprised at how good it looked i have to i say. mean basically all you needed for this to be pure terry was for a klingon to turn up and sexually assault someone and for them to have to investigate that and then it would have been you'd have been home that's it that's episode three yeah yeah um spoiler yeah, I have watched all three episodes that were ever made available to oh, us. you're ahead of me. I have watched more Star Trek than James Dyer. Can we just let that sink <laughs> in for a moment? <laughs> so, the interesting thing for me about it is that this... Because I watched the first season, and... Because you were saying how you're surprised by how sombre it yeah. is. Actually, this is less sombre than the first season. It is, yeah. It's less self-consciously kind of adult mm. than the first season. And if, to the point where, at the end of episode one, the new Captain Doofus, what's his name? He got, has a line. Pike, Sorry, who is Pike. famous from Star Trek I know, canon. Pike. He says, we're going to have some fun. Doesn't yeah. he? Yes, he? Very does. pointedly. Yeah. And it's almost like he's saying they're saying to the viewer, yes, we know we've had to deal with all the kind of big serious stuff that we did in season one, but we're telling you now we're going to do a bit of that, but we're also going to make it fun. Because I think there was a feeling, wasn't there? I think among some critics slash fans that season one was a bit too subconsciously weighty yeah. and adult. It was very bleak. And also, you have to bear in mind, a significant portion of this season of Star Trek was in Klingon with <laughs> subtitles. Oh, right, so here's the thing. <laughs> Episode three, so the Klingon, uh, Shazad Latif's character, Clem Fandango, yeah. the lovely British actor who plays this Klingon dude, he's back in... Epi- have you, what, you haven't watched I this? haven't. Episode no, three. No spoilers. I swear to God, I'll, I'll use I'm a fucking nerve pinch on you. Sorry, is that a spoiler that he's back? No, not okay. really. Well, he is. <laughs> and... Um, and there's those of Klingon, and I couldn't get the subtitles to work on on the on the Netflix thingy service. So, so I literally was like, half of it is in fucking Klingon, and I did not understand so, what they were going so on so about. So is your, is your conversational Klingon you're saying not not great? No, not you would have been fine with it. You'd have understood what they were saying oh, without the subtitles, wouldn't you? Yeah, but there's <laughs> loads of bloody Klingon. But it's very entertaining, and it does turn into. Not spoiler alert, it's now the search for Spock. Yes. Isn't it? The yes. whole thing yes. is revolving around where the F is Spock, what's he been up to, what's he done, and, and, they're, and they're kind of delaying the gratification moment where new Spock arrives. And I'm yeah. really excited about that because there is no greater character. And the other thing, because you were talking about how much you, you enjoyed it and all, with, the, with the procedural element, it's Doctor Who as well, isn't yeah, it? That's it why. Yeah, it's Doctor Who. Because they can do, they have that freedom, they oh. can go anywhere. But it is. <laughs> no, it, it is. is. You, you I'm wish not saying it's, the combined budgets no. of every episode of Doctor Who could pay for the first well, five minutes true. of the first that episode. That is true. <laughs> but it's got that same appeal. They can go anywhere, they can go yeah. back in time, they can go to alternate universes and all of that. And they're going to solve solve, uh, solve crime. You know, that's what, that's what they do. <laughs> Danny Baker's says Doctor Who is people running around the universe solving crime and he's yeah. right but the whole yeah, um, Anthony Rapp's character what's called Paul yeah. and his the, clearly the yeah. grief he's he's struggling with and obviously I was new to that entire story but I found that really affecting and yeah, moving and Clem that, Fandango killed his husband I, I, I picked that up um, <laughs> but that, that whole kind of that tone I thought was really interesting yeah. and made it much more I suppose grown up now, than I was expecting did you love or loathe Tilly I like I liked her Tilly. I know people, some people hate her, don't they? But Terry could well, go either way. Well, because she's so chirpy and yeah. like happy and, and oh my she's God! very like 
you know, <laughs> kind of social, social, um, you know, she's kind of Instagram, isn't she? She's yeah. kind of Instagram friendly <laughs> in Star Trek set. Ten she's, years before I the first her. series, I think she's genius. But don't, but don't you also need that kind yes. of, of POV on you need screen? The you need the playfulness. You need the levity when things are getting a bit, you know, tense. You need her yeah. to kind of be the blundering, wide-eyed, innocent. I didn't mind her. Yeah, I didn't mind. Her. I, 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 I think this works very well. And I think it's a natural progression from the first season. I think Pike works very well as a kind of Lorca slash Jason Isaacs replacement. Isaacs was good in that he was kind of like a wild card type. Yeah, but this and you're guy, never sure with him. Where you, this guy yeah. seems. But he, Pure, this guy proper. has a, a Kirk-like quality, yeah, like a kind totally. of southern, informal, Absolutely. colloquial, but yeah. you know, no nonsense. Like he's Kirk too. hit it, you know. He's, yeah. yeah, he's very Kirk-like. I mean, there are canonical issues up the wazoo about why he's on the Discovery <laughs> oh, and what's happening to the Enterprise and what's happening with Spock. And it's like, like my, the the Star Trek canon timeline in my head is on red alert does, at the moment. They're, too, but, they're completely separate, aren't they? Just to confirm that. So, because because of course, Star Trek the mo- the the, re- the reboot under J.J. Abrams presented us with new Spock and, and younger, and now this is another. Young Younger version of the same characters, but they're just completely separate. Now. I, I Is would that right? suggest in separate I would suggest universes. Leave that alone. <laughs> it's prime universe. There's alternate universe. There's there's yeah. Okay. There's there's a whole whole load of things. One more interesting. On there. There's so many. We could, I could talk about this all day. But one more in, f- thing I find really interesting about this in this world of creators and showrunners and you know kind of maverick auteurs, if yeah. you like. This has had the rockiest, hasn't it? Most troubled yeah. background. Although Brian Fuller still has a creative I know, credit, but yeah. he's not involved. No, Brian not at Fuller all. was one of the co-creators. Yeah. Then didn't they bring in other showrunners? Yeah. One, and they kicked them out halfway yeah. through the season. Kurtzman's still Kurtzman's there. Kurtzman's still there, but it's complete. From, from the sound of it, I read one article about the shenanigans going on by the season that basically said they've got pretty much anyone interested in science fiction in Hollywood involved at yeah. one point or another in you know helping with scripts, helping with storylines and tone and all of that. But yet it still works. So it's like. Actually, sometimes making stuff by committee and kind of, you know, going through that tortuous process can end up with a really good thing. Yeah, because this shouldn't work no, because it of its, yeah, its torture birthing that. process. But it does, and it's brilliantly cast. And Sonequa Martin-Green is fantastic as She's Michael so Burnham. Good, yeah. uh, and I really enjoy it. And I like the fact that this was lighter. I like the fact that it subverted a lot of Star Trek tropes, specifically yeah. with the landing sequence, which is really fun, but doesn't go the way you'll think it will go. Yeah, uh, yeah there's- The scene where she goes to, because she spocks... Um, sister, well, there's a scene where she, this, this is where she goes to the Enterprise, and that was very, I thought, very Star Warsy, very J.J. Abrams Star Wars um, sequel. But do you know what I mean? In the sense that she's there visiting this this hallowed place. Mm, that that I didn't l- love okay. that I mainly because good. they were very much trying to ape the '60s TV show aesthetic, right yeah. down to the sneaker squeaking sound effect yeah. of the door. And I but thought, I like that's that. Not necessary. No, I like. I, I thought that was lovely. I got a, a lot of. Um, that was the other thing I was going to say. I got a lot of Star Wars. Yes. Vibes from it. Definitely. Well, yeah, it, it has that kind of evolution thing in it. Yeah. But I liked, you know, I like the, you know, we got the u- new uniforms and they're wearing the kind of yeah. classic primary coloured original series Star Trek uniform. Yeah. yeah, it's it's so much fun. It is so much fun. And, and there's a lot of lens flare going on. They do like, love a bit of lens flare. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a sizzle at the end which shows you what's involved with this season and it does look like there will be a lot going on. And like the first season, it's going to be heavily arc-based with an ongoing narrative, so it's not just going to be them titting about on planet saving people and solving sex crimes, Terry. God damn it, I'm not um, in anymore. But that is Star Trek Discovery. It drops on Netflix every Friday. Uh, don't miss it. Live long and prosper. <laughs> uh, also on Netflix, we have Medici the Magnificent, which is certainly about <laughs> Medicis. And I will leave it at that. Who wants to talk about this one? 
this is weird. So it's not. Let's. By the way, let me just say it's not the greatest week for brand new cinematic <laughs> cinematic TV. Apart Sometimes not every week can you have three or four magnificent new shows that are all brilliant. But this is, you know, it's going on Netflix. It's um, it's a lavish production. What it, it's one of those. It's a weird project because, as you mentioned earlier, there's season one which starred um, dude from Bodyguard. Yes. Um, I think it also has Richard a, Madden. A, Richard Madden. Thank you. Has a executive producer credit and Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Right? It, that's the first season about the Medici clan in 15th century Florence, etc. Um, this season, it's created by Frank Spotnitz yep, of right. X-Files uh, Man in the High Castle fame. So it's got this incredible kind of like gr- talented heavyweight people involved. Yep. But those casts have left. There's got a brand new cast um, with, you know, of, of people including Sarah Parrish, Bradley James as kind of like the main, from Merlin, the main dude. Julian Sands plays yes. the kind of... He's, he's basically the new walk. Dustin Hoffman in a yeah. kind of patriarchal figure. Daniel Sharman. Daniel Sharman. People remember from Fear the Walking Dead. Exactly. Um, so it's got this great cast. And Sean Bean. Sean, Sean Bean, Bean. Of course. Right? So it's got this great cast. It's got this great creator, writer. It, but it is terrible. It's, it's, sh- <laughs> it's like one of the weird Euro pudding film. It's like Robin Hood, that Lucy Robin Hood film. It kind of like, it's, it's fairly expensive, but it's something incredibly cheesy and off yeah. about it. To the point there's one bit where I felt like the dialogue was dubbed. Um, and it wasn't matching what the actor was saying. You know, the lips, his lips were saying something different to the dialogue that they dubbed over, which may be something to do with the fact that this is all made for Italian television, really, and it's a, it's a Netflix acquisition. But it's so weird. Why is Frank Sponis doing the show? I kept thinking, what is it about what is this happening? show? Because, you know, he's great at fantasy and high concept, but th- why this? But it's, like a sub, it's like they've gone, oh, you know Game of Thrones? Well, we can have clans fighting each other for power in 15th century Italy, and it'll be just as exciting. It is so boring. It it's is unbelievable. so boring and and i just i just my most uh the most salient scene for me was there's a bit where daniel sharman is post-coitally strumming a mandolin yeah oh that was brilliant with a woman draped over his shoulder and i was like what yeah. the fuck and is that, going that's on a good point because i thought oh maybe the reason for this is to have like you know gratuitous sex and violence but the sex and violence is so tame yeah like, the violence that, is non-existent that, there's a classic moment in that scene with the loop playing scene <laughs> which is like austin powers where there's a candle so you can't see the character's genitals it's handling the way i'm like oh this is terrible <laughs> it's so cheesy i mean it, it really is i just but uh, did you ever see da vinci's demons yes i Which, quite like da vinci's yeah, demons because yeah. it was because me- it was ridiculous yes it covered a similar yeah. sort of subject it was medici's versus patsy right. and it started off ironically uh with uh hugh bonneville's candle yes. but without the candle <laughs> yes uh i remember thinking my god that's lord grantham's downton i didn't <laughs> need to see that um but yeah terry what did you make of medici was it magnificent for you oh it's uh, fucking rubbish. So I, uh, no, that's disrespectful. Otherwise, you, dis- you were thinking of a way of putting <laughs> it. That, that's, that's disrespectful. I turned this off after about twenty-five minutes, um, because it's it's genuinely terrible, and I couldn't find anything redeeming in it. And I mean, I was like, I love Sean, I love Sean Bean, right? So I, yeah. I thought, do you Same. know what? There is something in this for me. There's a bit of Sean Bean. He basically walks in, he's like, hey, oh, bleh, 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 bleh. does Sean Bean, Sean Bean walks in, it's like they just gave him a contract that said, be Sean Bean. Um, the writing was terrible, the way it was shot was ter- I mean, uh, there is literally no redeeming features to this, and 
I don't think people should even attempt to watch it. The first season, well, I think I'm pretty certain won some kind of award. <laughs> no, I think it did. I don't know what well, one for. of those like Montreux type. Thing. You know, yeah. where they give it to some I don't know anything that's, that's been vaguely costed quite a lot of money. With I mean, it had Dustin Hoffman it. Why didn't he do it? How did they get these people? I mean, they must give them so much money. They must have given Sean Bean a lot of money. And I have to say, I, I agree with you totally that Sean Bean's. But it's a great relief when he is on screen because when he's not, there's a bunch of terrible. Well, yeah. Quite bad acting, particularly by the younger cast. I mean, it's partly mm. the dialogue is terrible. It They're is terrible. With. Oh my god! I just felt sorry for everyone involved. They must have gone like, "Why are we doing this?" And then there's a promise of a big battle, and it doesn't happen. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. So that sorry. is <laughs> Medici, the not so magnificent, <laughs> which airs again. It's presumably drops uh, this Friday on yes. Netflix. Yes. 25th because of January. Because people can oh, listen yes. to this podcast at any point yes, in their lives. Someone pointed this out to us. In fact, it was Henrietta, our lovely producer, who said, can you please stop saying things are on tonight? Because yeah. this is a podcast and you don't know when people are <laughs> listening to it. Okay, so it is the 20, 25th, of January. 25th of January, Netflix, Friday. All episodes All available. Episodes. And people are really going to want to binge on it now. Yeah, so <laughs> so behave or, frankly, someone will make you watch them. Next up, season two of Tin Star, which is one of uh, Sky Atlantic's. What do we make of this one? So, I didn't see season one, so I'm just going to put that out there. So, just to get us all up to speed, Sky Atlantic, it's quite a basic premise. You have Tim Roth, who is peak Tim Roth in this, <laughs> let's be frank, um, who plays Jim Worth, who's an ex-detective from London, got a bit of a booze problem, bit of a, apparently a problem being a criminal, and he goes out to rural Canada with his family to start a new life. Somehow he ends up embroiled in crime and violence and tragedy and everything because he apparently takes that stuff with him. So where, where the first episode opens is where I believe the end of season one ended. Am I right, Boyd? Absolutely picks up, literally picks up where season one yes. left off, the so, very minute. So the last time we saw him, he was being held at gunpoint by his daughter, Anna, um, it was basically a, a, a standoff between him, his wife, and his daughter, um, and it was, is she going to shoot him? Which, uh, is it, I mean... Is no, it, she's no. fine. Yeah. It's, it, it's she, the premise for season him. two. She, she shoots him. him. <laughs> um, so you are right into the action. I'd read some stuff about this, hadn't watched it. I have to say, it, it is brilliantly, beautifully nuts. It is so nuts. Like, Tim Roth is, like doing some kind of like weird parody of Tim Roth, <laughs> which is astonishing. Um, people are getting shot left, right and centre. I have to say, from a craft perspective, there's some really beautiful moments. There's a top shot in the first 20 minutes. That is stunning. Some of the cinematography is, is done really well. The performances, I have to say, are a little bit patchy. So, um, for example, Christina Hendricks is in it. And I thought, I actually said to my boyfriend as we were watching this, Oh, my God, they got an actress to pretend to be Christina Hendricks, but she's not as good. But it is Christina Hendricks. Um, not being as good. She's just, um, it's its a little bit stilted and hammy in places. Um, uh, his wife is played by um, Genevieve O'Reilly. Um, it is it is patchy, we have to be honest. And it has some real moments of insane plot twists, insane drama something about this i enjoyed and i can't say it's like amazing quality or it's the best quality thing you'll ever see but and it is slightly ridiculous and it's very uber violent in places um but i don't know i enjoyed it mm. I, I really like I, re- I did watch the first season i really enjoyed it it's but it's kind of like it's got this the first season had started off with a brilliant opening episode which had this family led by, led by tim roth um with his a, a young 
a young child and his teenage child, who's still in season two, and the young child is killed brutally, shot, and there's blood spurts all over the, in the, they're in a car, and it had this incredible, and then it kind of, that was the very first scene, and then it kind of tracked back to what had happened, and the whole of the first scene was all about what what is going on, why there are people targeting Tim Roth and his family who have moved from London to this tiny, small town in Canada, and it had a really interesting kind of storyline to it, and he also had, the part of the reason why Tim Roth gets to be so over-the-top Tim Roth is because his drinking problem, the whole concept, high concept of season one was, his drinking problem means he blacks out and he becomes like a different an alter ego mm. called Jack who's dementedly violent yes. and sick and twisted and that's what's confusing yeah. if you watch the second season I had to google because right. there were <laughs> things happened and they kept calling yeah. him Jack and then they kept yeah. saying oh but you won't remember and yeah. I was like hang on does he have dementia but yeah. then so I bas- googled it basically Jack is his is his drunken violent alter ego now I believe in season two is going to drop that to some extent in like, so there's going to be less I think he's going to give up the drinking there's going to be less of the alter ego thing and now it's, he has to face the consequences of his actions as, you know, a Tim Rothian, fairly normal human being who happens to be the sheriff of this small town. So it's a really interesting, unusual concept. And I think they've, they execute it really well. It is bonkers. It is. But it's got that kind of, it's got a slight kind of Coen Brothers-y, eccentric, twisted feel to it. And the plotting, I think, is very influenced by that mm. kind of thing. This wouldn't exist without the likes of Fargo, I don't think. It, but in a good way. Rowan Joffe created it. And, and you're right, it's beautifully filmed. It's, it's it, it, The budget, the huge budget is all there on the screen. They did genuinely go up a mountain in Canada under minus 30 degrees to film this sequence, the sequence that begins the first episode. It's pretty hardcore. Um, it's really entertaining and enjoyable, and I really like it. I, think I mean, a, that yeah. opening sequence you're talking about is phenomenal. It is, it is absolutely phenomenal, and we talk about this a lot, about these kind of um, season openers that are so cinematic and are like a set piece you'd see in a yeah. movie, and you really kind of hook you in. And I had no idea what was going on for ages, but I didn't really care <laughs> yeah. because it was massively, massively enjoyable. It kind of slowed down a little bit after that, and that's when I think it struggled and then you had a lot of establishing work done for the rest of the season yeah. but yeah that sequence was choreographed brilliantly and you're right about the Christ- Christine Hendricks issue I think part of the problem is in the first season she she she, she was a, kind of had her own storyline where she was the kind of PR um, boss of this dodgy oil company and it was a very interesting role I think now in season two you feel they're trying to find stuff for her to do like there's no kind of natural storyline for her yet anyway so I think she's kind of left floundering a bit I think it's partly the writing of her character that's let her down a bit in season two is what I'd say and that is Tin Star season two which drops on Sky Atlantic when does it Boyd what is the date Thursday the 24th of January at 9pm and so what they're they're doing that thing they do where you can watch it on a week by week basis but it will also all be available that night as a box set if you want to watch the whole thing for those who cannot wait yeah excellent uh, also actually out this week is the unwatchable Kimmy Schmidt I call it that because Steady. we weren't provided with it oh, no, I I'm not because oh, it's bad okay. it's only unwatchable okay. because Netflix wouldn't give it to us True. so we haven't seen it but it's probably worth taking a moment to just say that it's a really really good comedy isn't it so, yeah, I really like it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's got loads and loads of charm. So if you don't watch the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, then there's a new season coming. And if you haven't watched it, go and watch all the other ones. Do you watch it, Terry? No. 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 Okay. <laughs> I, don't like it. I think you'd like it. Do you? Yeah. That's okay. an but Terry doesn't watch it, everyone. So there you go. All right. Well, that's reviews for this week, which gives us just enough time for a quick banshee segment. Oh. Ah, oh, the bit you all love so much. It's one from the archive. Let's let's pull out a gem, Boyd. Who wants no, to go you first? go. I'm not going first. <laughs> I'm not going first. I don't I've forgotten why I picked. So I did pick something, but I've just forgotten though. So I'm trying to remind myself. I'll do it. James, what's your banshee pick? This like I would like to extol the virtues of sleeper cell. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, I remember my my pick is now Sleeper Cell. Yeah, I'm vaguely okay, aware okay. of it. So this this only ran for two seasons. This is between 2005 2006. <laughs> this starred Michael Ely as FBI agent Darwin Al Said, who goes undercover in an Islamist terrorist cell that is planning an attack on LA. Now, what was interesting about this is it dropped when 24 was in full swing. Uh, and what I liked about it was it presented a sort of much more kind of nuanced, much less stereotyped sort of view of terrorism in America. So the members of the cell are, you know, they're hypocrites more than fundamentalists, kind of disaffected more than zealots, essentially. And they're from a mix of backgrounds. They're not just kind of Middle Eastern star, uh, archetypes. So Michael Ely, obviously, is great in this, but the highlight the highlight is Oded Fair as Faris Al-Farik, who's kind of this endlessly watchable, hugely compelling terrorist cell leader. Uh, and he's the heart of actually both seasons. I absolutely love him to bits. Um, I really love this show, I think, but partly what's interesting about it is the format. So bear in mind, this came out in 2005, and it was a Showtime show in the US. But unusually for that era, both seasons were shot ahead of time and then block released all at once, Netflix style. Uh, which back then just wasn't a thing people did in one go. I mean, it was it was over consecutive nights rather than all in one night. But that was it was a really interesting thing. It was very ahead of its time, uh, and it did get an Emmy nomination for outstanding miniseries. But more importantly, you can pick up both seasons as a DVD box set for 50p, which is, <laughs> as ever, a pilot price match guarantee. And it really is, because I actually checked before recording this. It is available for 50p, uh, second-hand. Absolutely no excuse not to pick that up. Is this becoming the 50p segment? Yeah, but yeah. no, but it's amazing. And this is the thing. It's amazing how many great shows of your... You can go to Computer Exchange or <laughs> Music Your sorry. I'm sorry, your. I'm sorry. Great days of what? <laughs> am, am I not allowed to speak like that? Days <laughs> Days of yore, back in ye olden times. <laughs> uh, you know, it's all good. Um, yeah, no, but you can pick up. So you can pick up uh, like the Shield season box sets, like admittedly in standard def DVD. But like, again, fifty p each. You can pick up all this stuff. So the Banshee segment should be called the fifty p segment. <laughs> okay. Uh, and people can pick up box sets for cheap. My pick is um, a touch of cloth, which. We, is I, that is that like touching cloth? It's like touching cloth. You see, now I, I, that, that indicates to me that you don't know what the show is, right? No, I have I, absolutely I, no idea. I was thinking because it's Charlie Brooker's sh- series that he did for Sky One a few years ago. There are three series of it. It's a really funny, incredibly broad, gag a minute, airplane style spoof of detective crime shows, and a lot of people weirdly really don't know about it. So it stars Saran Jones and John Hanna, written by Charlie Brooker and and a kind of group of of mates. It's unbelievably funny and stupid and silly. And I've often mentioned it to people, because obviously when everyone talks about Charlie Brooker and the brilliant stuff he's done with Black Mirror and Bandersnatch, which is like changing the face of TV as we know it, this was his mo- the most traditional thing he's ever done, but it's so funny. And if you like, as Terry does, for example, if you like procedural cop, it's all about spoofing those tropes of procedural cop shows. It's And it's all on it's on DVD for £11.50, if you want, or it's on Skybox. £11.50? I know, it's a lot. £11. For you, it is could a lot. You, I reckon you could pick that up secondhand. I'm sure you could. I'm looking at, Amazon, I'm looking at it on Amazon Who right now. Buys these I'm sure you can get it secondhand for about 10p yeah, yeah sure yeah um but honestly i loved it and it's great and people should check it out the other side of charlie brooker i've never heard of it yeah a touch of why is it a called a touch of cloth because it is it's, it's a stupid title oh, it's making okay. fun fine and he's called cloth detective of cloth oh i see his that. name is detective cloth <laughs> i think so yeah that's funny are you sure terry have you got check. something depressing to round this off uh well i want to talk about happy valley Oh, which okay. I don't think. I mean, that is depressing. Yeah, which I don't think enough people watched at the time. I think it was 2014. Uh, is it coming back? Yes, I think it is. Yeah, yes. it's not yes. finished. And so, this, we've got, uh, go on. The, 
Series 3 has been in the pipeline for a long time, yeah. but I think it might actually be happening in the, towards the end of this year, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a Sally Wainwright um, crime television series, which is um, Sarah Lancashire at her finest. I remember I lived in New York when this went out. Um, and I watched it to remind me of home when I was homesick. And right. it's um, it's obviously set in the um, in West Yorkshire. She's a local Bobby, and it's essentially kind of the horrors of her personal life and and the crime she has to deal with. It is incredibly violent, incredibly grim and depressing. Um, and for me, actually, was part of that wave of proper British cinematic TV. Um, absolutely remarkable. So if you if you haven't seen the first two seasons, I think it's actually still on Netflix or, yeah, or so, yeah. um, if not on Amazon. Um, get it seen. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. It's one of the best things of our time. It's a bit of a misnomer, but... You know. Oh, that's completely deliberately. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what I think it's Happy, oh, Valley, Happy Valley. The title. Oh, yeah. I think that refers to that it's a place with a big drug issue. So I think it's almost known colloquially as Happy Valley because it's where the, yes, the local true. youths are doing drugs. It's right. their only way out of their miserable situation. So that is sleeper cell, a, a touch of cloth. cloth. He's, he's DCI Jack cloth. Right, 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 and Happy Valley. There you go. Three things to keep you going until next week, and that is it for another Pilot TV podcast. If you would like us to start tackling your questions more often. We nearly did one this week, but frankly, we ran out of time. Uh, do uh, send them to at Pilot TV Mag or just hurl them at me directly at James C. Dyer. Uh, hi thee to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, please. Anything that's less than that. Uh, and frankly, we're going to let Terry off the leash and allow her to spend all of next week's episode banging on about the new season of Law & Order SVU, which, and I kid you not, arrives next week. Uh, so you, you, it's like Bandersnatch. You, your fate is in your hands. You can choose whether or not that becomes a thing. Uh, assuming that doesn't come to pass, uh, we'll be back next week to hopefully talk about George R. R. Martin's new show that isn't Game of Thrones, and there's a decent chance that there'll be a good doctor in the house. In the meantime, I will be camped outside Corden's house with my face pressed up against the glass. Pilot out. Pilot <laughs> out.